Good evening. It is good to be together. If you will, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We'll begin looking at some passages out of the first chapter tonight of 2 Corinthians. If you want to grab a Bible in the pew there, it should be about 1,025. And uh, we'll be studying through that in just a few moments. Our brother Al Gregg, his mother, and many of you have probably seen this on the news or in the Tennessean, but we just got to mention this. His mother has celebrated her 110th birthday. And uh, she's been recognized and wished a happy birthday by the governor of, of Tennessee, Bill Haslam, and also by the county mayor. And it's been on the news and in the Tennessean. And, and what a remarkable, remarkable accomplishment. And he said her mind is just really, really still clear. And that's, that's just exciting. We, we send a, a happy birthday wish from, from us to her. Also, uh, this past Friday night, we had a wonderful, wonderful teacher's banquet. It's a way to say thank you and to offer appreciation uh, to every teacher. Uh, we appreciate so much the many hours that you sacrifice on a weekly basis uh, to prepare, but then your love and your passion for God, for his word, and for those that would want to learn. And it truly was a tremendous time, and, and we're thankful to each of you, and hopefully that expressed that. And we're also thankful for Tim Martin and for his uh, putting that together and for the work that he does in education ministry on a daily basis. And he does a tremendous job. And with that in mind, this coming Wednesday night, we'll begin our summer faith series. Be sure and be a part of that. It should be a tremendous series. And Tim has put that together and it'll be great. And we'll continue the mailbox series even throughout the summer. The Ones presenting here their lessons in the auditorium will be covering 1 Corinthians. And then on a lot of Sunday nights, we'll be covering 2 Corinthians. So if you want to be reading through both of those books this summer, uh, we'll be studying uh, various passages out of those together. Also, uh, give you just a, a for what it's worth, uh, there were 239, there was 239 attending camp, counting the helpers and and those that are campers. There's 240 beds, and only one camper did not show up. But then two showed up that had not registered. So if everything goes well, there's 240 beds and 240 people that need a bed. So uh, we are thankful. Uh, the increase in the number of youth that are regularly attending Wednesday night and Sunday morning and in various retreats, camps, uh, devotionals, service projects. It really is amazing. You know, we, we really, we can say, not every place, but we go all around the world to bring souls to hear the teaching of God's Word. And uh, I'm so thankful, and I know you're so thankful, that that's working right here at home too. There are a lot of souls in this community that attend here on a weekly basis that have no family here other than the fact that they're a teenager, that somebody from school or someone that they know has invited them and they keep coming. And what a blessing that is. And I, I hope that you'll be prayerful about that uh, because there truly are some powerful seeds that are sown in, in hopefully all the lives of those that go to camp, but especially some of those that do not have a background uh, in a Christian family. Uh, this will be the first time that they'll spend a week in an environment that is Christ-like. And uh, it's, it's powerful. 
uh, for those youth that have never done that before in their life. And yet many of us will go home and we will live in a Christian environment and, and we will enjoy that every day. And so it's really a powerful experience for them. And so I hope you'll be praying about that. Also, uh, last weekend with Memorial Day weekend, we had over uh, 200, I believe it's 210 of you that gathered together at uh, the campsite at Fall Creek Falls and you worshiped together. And I understand that you even had several visitors and that's, that's real encouraging also. Also, what was uh, just encouraging to us is that P.D. McCullough, he, he wrote this letter to be read there and, and then also wants it to be read here at home. And it's very beautiful and humble. And I'd like to begin tonight by reading this. He says, some of you know that I have been fighting cancer for quite some time. I did not tell the church trying to keep it from my mama. A few years ago, the cancer started to spread. There's no known cure for my cancer, but by God's blessing, I've been taking several treatments that keep it in check for now. The side effect of my treatments are weight gain, low energy, muscle weakness, and fatigue. Because of God's gift of grace, I'm not afraid of dying and try to live my life positive and with a smile. I am often unable to attend Sunday and Wednesday evening services. I am truly concerned that my example might cause someone to stumble, to lessen their faith, or to think I'm just a two-hour Sunday morning Christian. If I've caused doubt or sinned against anyone in any way, I am sorry. Please forgive me as I ask God to forgive me also. Please pray for me that I might live to God's glory and not his shame. P.D. McCullough. P.D.'s a rich blessing to this congregation and has been all his life. And uh, we're thankful for him and for Susan, for the McCullough family. And uh, we're thankful for his humility. We're thankful for his heart. And uh, we're thankful that he gives us an opportunity to share in uh, this journey with him. And uh, we, we want to love him and support him in every way that we can. Let's, let's begin tonight with a prayer. Let's bow. Our most gracious God, you bless us in so many ways that we could not count them all. And it's times like this that we're reminded how much it is a blessing to be in a church family of so many good people. So many people that love you and every day they lay down their life for you and their sacrifice and their sacrificing of self-will for your will. And God, we thank you for the life of P.D. McCullough. We're thankful for his heart. We're thankful for the many lives that he touches on a regular basis, for the classes that he teaches, for the way he loves you. He loves your word and he loves your people. God, we're thankful for the compassion that he shows to us and to so many others. We're thankful for the example that he sets of perseverance, even in difficult times. And God, as he has written this beautiful confession, uh, we pray that if there are any here that uh, have been in any way offended uh, by his example, that they truly would understand and that they would be forgiving and understanding. God, if there's any sin that you've held to his account, we ask you, as he has asked in this note here, to forgive him. And God, we know that you're a faithful God, and we know you keep your promises, and we know you want us to know that our salvation is secure. 
And God, we thank you for that blessed assurance that you give us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. God, we are mindful of his physical illness. And God, we bring that to you in prayer. And God, we pray and we would ask you to strengthen him that his body would be able to continue to fight this disease and that he would grow stronger and not weaker. But God, we, from the depths of our being, we pray that we as a church family will be every kind of support and encouragement to him that we possibly can be and that he needs and you would expect us to be. God, we pray that his faith is greater than whatever challenges he faces throughout all this. God, we're thankful for his wonderful wife, Susan. We're thankful for uh, her love and support of him, and especially during this time. We're thankful for the wonderful uh, Christian sister that she is in this congregation, and also the many classes she's taught and mission trips she's gone on. And God, we could go on and on of decades of faithfulness that this couple has rendered. And we simply, and yet very uh, meaningfully say thank you for them. God, we're also mindful of camp this week. And we're mindful that there will be some young people there that will see and experience things they've never seen on a daily basis. And God, we pray that for every youth there, that they will learn more about your holy word, that they will grow closer to you, that they will see the love from other peers and from adults that are there that will show them your love. God, we pray that everyone, young and old there, would go closer to you this week. God, we ask that you be with the ones who are teaching. Uh, we pray that you will be with Griff as, as he is speaking tonight. We pray that you'll be with each one that's speaking throughout the rest of the week. We pray that you'll be with Philip as he has so much responsibility on his hands this week uh, to lead, to direct, and to manage uh, such a large number of people. God, you have blessed us richly with such wonderful opportunities such as this. We give you the praise, the glory, the honor, and the dominion. And it's through your son's name we pray. And amen. Why pain and suffering? It may seem unusual when we think about going through the book of 2 Corinthians that that's how we would open, but yet we see throughout the book of 2 Corinthians a book that is geared especially through the idea of comfort. You see, to our knowledge, Paul wrote a few books, not just one or two books to Corinth, but he wrote a few more letters that aren't recorded in the Holy Writ. And some of those letters were very strong and very straightforward. Some of those letters we might say were hard. And yet then we read a letter like 2 Corinthians where it's Paul hoping that at this time, in a sense, he can back up and not be so hard. And hopefully they've gotten the message and hopefully they will love God and even love Paul again. You see, what we're about to see is we're about to see in this book that Paul literally had his concern of whether or not Corinth, by the time he hears back from them, as this letter of 2 Corinthians is, or 1 Corinthians is delivered, and then he will write back to them 2 Corinthians. The concern is, are they going to be Christians? Are they going to be a part of the Lord's church? His concern also is, are they going to love him? Are they going to consider him a false apostle? Are they going to count him as, as a castaway, if you will? All of this left Paul in deep grief. 
And so what he does is he tells about three different episodes, one of which I've just said to you and two other episodes throughout the book of 2 Corinthians to discuss losses and difficult times and grief. You see, the question this evening is not, will you go through a really difficult time in your life? The question is, what will you do when that difficult time comes? Because it's coming, brethren. None of us escape through a life without some difficult losses, without some great challenges, without some pain brought from other people's lives or maybe our very own sin where we've brought things into our life or just the fact that we live on this earth and it's not a permanent place. Let me quickly run down those four for you very quickly so you can see when we think about where does grief come from. The idea of sowing and reaping, sometimes it's our own sin that creates pain, that creates grief in our life. Number two, sometimes it's because someone else has sown seeds. And keep in mind, the harvest is always greater than what is sown. And so one individual sows a seed, but the harvest is so great that that pain hurts the lives of other people. The very quick illustration that most people go to to illustrate that is a drunk driver. Shouldn't have been drunk to begin with. Shouldn't have been driving. That's illegal. And yet their sin that they sown is going to reap a harvest when they hit someone that that other innocent driver and they take their life. We say, what was that? That was the reaping of the heart, the harvest of a sin where the sin was only one individual, but the reaping was broader than the sowing. The good news is that's also true when we put good seed in the ground. The harvest affects others in a good way, but it's true when we put the negative in the ground. Also, a third way that we see sin is we see that sin or, or we see grief is we see that sometimes the grief that we experience is simply because someone that we have loved has gone through either number one or number two. And because we love them, we experience a very deep grief because of what they're going through. But a fourth and final thing that we'll say this evening by introduction is that sometimes we experience pain, we experience losses simply because we're not in heaven yet. As long as we're on this earth, things are not designed to stay continually well and healthy. This earth itself is winding down. It's law of physics. Everything you own. I was looking at my Bible this afternoon and, and there's a little dark black section that's coming out here in the middle of the New Testament. I kind of had this sick feeling like my Bible is rotting. I love not just the Bible, I love this Bible. Everything you own is going to rust, it's going to corrode, it's, it's going to be stolen. It's going to be lost. And some of those things are very significant. Some of them end up in a fire. They end up in a flood. And, and the fact that we're not on an earth that is permanent sometimes creates pain. But also the very same thing is true about our physical bodies. These bodies that you and I live in are not designed to live forever. That's why flesh and blood is not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. But when that trumpet sounds and that soul and that body is raised, this body is going to be changed. And we're going to be given a body that will live for an eternity. And so as long as we're in this body, we can count on a few things for certain. We will have sickness. We will have disease. We will have days that we don't feel as good as other days. And if we live enough time, we will have a complete season of life where eventually something during that season takes our life. That sounds cold, but that's reality. 
And that's why you and I need to see something that's so much greater, so much more important, that is eternal. And that's the home of the soul. But yet until we get there, there will be grief when we have the loss of health. There will be grief when we have the loss of a loved one. There can be grief when we lose possessions that were very sentimental or precious to us in some way or another. And so when we think about that age-old discussion of pain and suffering, Job, probably one of the first books written in the Old Testament, and, and we say, why is that one of the early writings in, in the Old Testament? And it's as if God was saying from the very beginning, I want you to see that horrible things can and will happen to good people. You'd have a hard time finding a man in the Bible that could trump Job. But yet you also have a hard time seeing a man that went through such disaster and pain and loss as Job. Why that book? To show us that good men and women can have horrific losses and pain in their life. And so the next time something horrible happens, our first thought should not be, I wonder what evil that person did. Because that's just not the case always by any means. And so we see here in the life of Paul, by the time he's writing 2 Corinthians, the idea of comfort is very much on his mind. Look here in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter in verse 3. If you have chapter headings that, by the way, man has added, you might have a chapter heading above verse 3 that says something like comfort or comfort in suffering. And so he writes about in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulations pause there for a moment what are you dealing with that God cannot help you with nothing God can help you in every pain that you experience that's why in first Peter 5 and verse 7 is so beautiful when he says cast your cares upon me for I care for you is it the loss is it a challenge is it a pain is it a, a death is it is it the loss of a job what is it that you're dealing with that you say this is a tribulation it's breaking my heart and God says I can comfort you in this will you look to God will you depend upon God that's the beauty of the book of Job is that we find out that we will never find all of the answers about our grief, but we do find out that the answer is always to trust God and turn to God. And that's exactly what Job did. And here we see Paul teaching that. But notice it shouldn't stop with the idea of God comforts us. It's kind of like a cycle here. And let's read the rest of this. I'm going to pick up in, in four again, but let's read on. Who comforts us in all of our tribulations that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. Did you notice that? God comforts us so we can comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God says, okay, any tribulation you're dealing with, I want to offer comfort and I want to offer support to you, but I do not offer it as a close-ended deal. I expect you to have your eyes and your hearts open when you see someone that's grieving. God says, you've received this comfort from me and now I want you to go and I want you to offer comfort to them also. The word comfort in its root means to come along beside. So many times we'll hear people say, well, I don't go to funeral homes or I don't go and talk to a friend that's gone through a loss because just that, I don't know what to say. And I hope you realize this evening that what is far more important than knowing what to say is going. Going. 
walk along beside. And then what's real important when you don't know what to say is don't open your mouth. Go and sit. Go and listen. Go and pray. Go with your eyes open to see what is it that you could do. At that time, what are they going through that would be a support? Going, comfort, come along beside. Many of us here have gone through some kind of loss in our life. Think about there's over 7 billion people on this earth. Very few of those 7 billion people were of comfort. There were only those that came up beside us that offered comfort. God says, I'll come along beside you. Remember Psalm 23? He'll walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. God says, I'll come beside you. But I expect you to also then be willing to take that comfort I've given you. And I expect you to come beside others also. So what kind of losses and pain was Paul dealing with in 2 Corinthians? Well, if you'll notice in the very next paragraph in verse 8, we have a mention of something that we don't read about anywhere else in the scriptures. And so we don't even know what Paul was talking about here. Some people think maybe it was an episode that took place when he was in Ephesus. But notice what we read in verse 8. And, and when you think about Paul being such a courageous and strong man, this must have been a horrific time for him to say this. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble pick up on these words that, that, that describe pain and agony of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us. See how beautiful it is? He recognized their prayer was a part of the comfort. You helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on your behalf for the gift granted to us through many. When he, back in verse 8, talks about burdens beyond measure and above strength, we despaired even of life. Again, we do not know what he was talking about, but we do understand the language that a burden is something very heavy and he says it's beyond measure. In other words, he says, I can't make you understand how heavy this burden was. And then when he continues, he said, above strength. In other words, he's saying this was a burden that was heavier than what we were able to bear and live. You see, that's the picture he's painting. If we would not have had God's deliverance, we would have died with whatever this particular burden was. And he says, we were in despair of life. Now, please note this. That was not despair of his soul. If, if you flip over a page, you'll see how Paul views his spiritual journey. Look at the fourth chapter. The fourth chapter in verse eight, he talks about the pressures that he felt physically, but then he answers how he felt spiritually. And we're not gonna take the time to develop eight and nine completely, but you see the language, but I want you to see despair in eight. In eight, he says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. You see, he's saying, we have stress all around us, but spiritually, we're not giving in. We're not crushed. And then he says, we're really confused right now. We're perplexed. In other words, he's saying, I don't, perhaps he's saying, I don't know why God's allowing this to happen. 
I don't know what God's will is in this particular thing, but he says, I can tell you this, we're not in despair. In other words, we're not holding up the white flag spiritually and saying, we give up on God. But now here, when he's talking about his pain in the first chapter, he says, physically, our life was in despair. Our soul's not in despair, but our life was in despair. We believed that we were dying at that moment. The only help that he could reach out to at a time like this was the one that had the power to resurrect the dead. You see that connection there? Paul, how bad was your situation? We were so close to death that the only person that could help us would be someone that has the power to resurrect the dead. That's a pretty amazing way to describe a physical situation on earth. And so he says, we called out to him and we reached out to God and he says, God delivered us. I need to note that one of the ways, if God so chooses that he can help us in times of pain and loss is he at times will say, let me remove you from that situation. Let me restore your health. Have you ever prayed when your health was being weakened? Have you ever prayed that God would deliver you from that sickness and that your health would be restored? You see, there are many situations, a loss of a job. Lord, will you restore my job? There are many situations that we might pray similar to this, where we would say, Lord, will, will you deliver me from this painful loss, from this painful situation? And there's times where God's answer to that prayer is, yes, absolutely, I will. But secondly tonight, I'd like for you to see that there were a lot of, of uh, fragile times where Paul, who had sent back Titus to try to find out how the brethren in Corinth were doing, and he was waiting. And there was two things that would develop over this wait. There would be the great concern. Have you ever waited for something that you were so concerned that the news you were going to get back was not good news? He was so concerned that he was going to get news back that they had left the Lord, that they were spiritually lost. He also eventually got apparently concerned that something had happened to Titus. And so now he's worried about Titus physically and he's worried about the Corinthians spiritually. I want us to just scan a few verses to see this. You see there in the second chapter, notice words that talk about sorrow and pain. Look at the second chapter, but I termine this within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. So he's been dealing with a very difficult situation with them. See in verse three, I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Paul, how are you feeling as you're writing letters of concern to them? He says, my heart is anguished. Papers are stained with tears. I'm in great trouble over this situation. And when we flip a page and we go over still in the second chapter, Look at verse 12. And the reason I want us to see 12 and 13 here is I think there's something that all of us need to know about deep grief. This is something interesting in 12. 
Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. And what do you think Paul's going to do? What does Paul do when he goes somewhere to preach the gospel and the Lord opens a door? What does Paul do? You say, well, Paul goes through that door and preaches. Not if you're deep in grief. Not deep in grief. He didn't look at the very next verse. I had no rest in my spirit. You ever had that kind of grief? Because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. And brethren, please don't misunderstand me. It doesn't matter how deep our grief is. We need to make sure that number one, we never allow our grief to be an excuse for us doing wrong. We need to worship. We need to serve God. We need to see others and not allow our grief to turn us inward and make us selfish. But we also see, need to see the point that, that Paul is making here. When we are not in grief, there are so many open doors that God will open up for us. And every day it's like an adventure where we're going wide open. And when we're in grief, we don't have the strength to go wide open. If someone has a broken leg, you don't expect them to be able to do the very same things that they were able to do without that broken leg. We need to understand that in the depths of grief, it is impossible for someone to carry on and pass through every open door as if they were not in the depths of grief. Grief is hard work. Most people that are grieving wake up first thing in the morning feeling like they are as tired as most people are at the end of the day. People that describe grief will use phrases like this. I feel like I have a 2,000 pound boulder on my chest. I just can't get up in the mornings. My head is heavy. I wake up tired. The days are long and the nights are longer. Listen, do you think God doesn't know how you feel? He does. But what you need are brothers and sisters in Christ that love and support you and they understand how you feel also. It's fine in the depths of grief to tell somebody, I just can't do that right now. I'm grieving. I've gone through a difficult year and it's going to take me a while to get my stamina back. And that's all right. That's what we even see Paul passing on a door that was open to preach. So is it going to get better? Let's see how God made this one better. Let's look at 2 Corinthians, the seventh chapter. You can probably quickly guess how he made it better. He was longing to hear from Titus, and so God sent Titus to him. Look at 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 5. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. See that, that picture of grief there? Had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Hear that description of pain? Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. You ever gone through grief and, and you were fearful because you don't understand what's happening and you don't know how you're going to be left after this loss is experienced? Look at six. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast. What a phrase. If you write in your Bible, you ought to underline that because one of these days you're going to need that phrase. When you feel like nobody else in the world understands, you know who understands? There's a God who is in business to comfort the downcast. He knows how you feel. He knows how you feel better than you know how you feel. He knows how you feel better than anybody around you knows how you feel. God who comforts the downcast 
comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation, the comfort with which he also comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice. Notice this double rejoicing. I rejoice even more. Paul says, I finally have found some comfort. Paul, how did you receive comfort? God did it. How did God do it? He sent Titus. Titus was safe. I thought maybe something was wrong with Titus, but then it was even better. It's not just that Titus is safe. I found out that people in Corinth are doing well spiritually. They've turned some things around. They love the Lord. They're not mad and angry and ready to cast me out as a faithful apostle. Paul says, God comforted me. Listen. It's interesting that he points out that God comforted me by the sending of Titus. And I want to remind you again where we started this evening in the first chapter. So oftentimes God is going to comfort people in this congregation by people in this congregation going to them and offering that support and that comfort. I hope that you're always willing to be the feet for God, the hands for God, the heart for God. When God needs someone, he can send to those that are hurting. Now, I do want to remind you, though, how foolish it is to think that you're going there to try to think up something to say that will make all of the pain better. When I talk with an individual or families that are grieving, oftentimes one of the things that I say to them is I say, listen, you know over the next few days, there are going to be people that say the dumbest things. And it's going to hurt. I say, I want you to just bite your tongue and understand they mean well, but they don't know what to say but they went ahead and opened their mouth anyway. If you've had a significant loss in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't had a significant loss in your life, I beg you, go and don't say much. Do not think you are some God's gift from earth that nobody else on earth has figured out what to say. In some way, you're going to think up something to say that will take away the pain. You're not going to think up something to say that'll take away the pain. But you could go and say by your presence, I'll walk with you as you go through the pain. I won't let you walk alone. I'll pray for you and I will be here to help you in any way that you can. But listen, you have no business saying, I know exactly how you feel. There's no two losses the same. The woman that has stayed beside her husband as he's gone through cancer and they've had all of these opportunities over the, the months to talk about their regrets and talk about, about how much they love each other and to put closure in, in their life, if you will, while they're still alive. That woman's grief is going to be very different from a woman who loves her husband, but the last thing that they send each other was a fight and they usually don't fight as a couple. And he goes out and that day at work, he's in an accident and he dies. Her loss is tragic and it didn't end well on a good day. She's going to experience an entirely different grieving process than the other woman. And if this other woman walks up thinking, 
I've lost my husband. You've lost your husband. I know exactly how you feel. You know what you may get? You may get what my grandmother-in-law said when a woman walked up to her as she was walking to the open grave of her daughter. And she came up and hugged her and she said, I know exactly how you feel. And she pushed the woman away and she said, you have no idea how I feel. And that woman deserved it. Listen, God doesn't send us to try to come up with a magic potion. God doesn't send us to try to take some huge significant loss and make it better. God sends us to walk with each other. If you're not willing to shed tears, if you're not willing to hang around a while, if you're not willing to walk through life with that person, keep your little quick remarks and go to Walmart. But if you're ready to love and you're willing to walk with someone, God needs individuals that can go. Individuals that can walk with them. And individuals that love. We're not going to develop it, but if you want to look for the third thing that Paul went through, it's in the 12th chapter. Many of you, just from your memory, you'll know about the thorn in the flesh. I want to urge you to recognize in the 12th chapter in verse 7, God did not send that thorn in the flesh and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of what? Of Satan to buffet me. That's the idea to blacken the eye. So Satan was sent to bring pain into my life, lest I should be exalted above measure. Let me give you one more application as we start wrapping this up, I know we've got to close. The other thing I would beg you to never believe again, if you've ever believed it, is everything that happens on this earth is not God's will. God did not send that thorn. Read it. It's black and white. Satan sent it. Now, when Paul prayed and asked God to remove it, God had to make a decision. Is it best for me to remove this thorn? Or is it better for Paul that I allow this thorn to stay? And because of the temptation that he was going to have to be arrogant because of the things that he'd seen apparently up in the third heaven, God knew that it was going to be better for Paul to have to go through the pain of this thorn that would keep him humble so that he could spend an eternity in heaven. But it was not God who sent the thorn. Why in the world, when we know from 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, that death is an enemy that God is going to destroy, why would anyone say to someone who's just gotten the news that they have cancer, why would they say, well, you know, it's God's will. What book are you reading? A drunk driver hits someone and you say, well, you know, it's God's will. Sin has never been God's will. The idea that, that, that we battle with death, that's not God's will. Instead, God sent Jesus to deliver us from that enemy of death. 
one of these days, I want to live in a place where everything is God's will. And I guarantee you it's not going to look anything like this place. And so our pain and our struggles are because we live in a place where a lot of the things that goes on is not God's will. And that's why we cry out in prayer for God's will to be done in our life. It was us offering our weakness the best we can to couple with God's strength because God's grace is sufficient. And that's the answer for any of us. Tonight, the book of 2 Corinthians deals a lot with comfort. deals a lot with crisis. deals a lot with collection. There's several things that it deals with. But one thing we know, that every one of us are also going to deal with those things. And so how are we going to do it? I want to encourage you tonight to make sure that you've made a commitment that your faith is greater than any difficulty that you go through. That you're not going to let any pain, any loss, you're not going to allow things to turn you away from God. And when those times come, let's all do the only thing we know to do. Continually turn to the Lord. We may not understand all the details. We won't be able to answer all of the whys. But the only thing we can do is trust in God. Tonight, if you need to place your trust in God, if you're ready to be baptized into Christ and become His child, tonight, if you're ready to come back to Him and you want to pray forgiveness, tonight, if we can encourage you, if we can walk with you in any way, we can't do it if we don't know it. And if there's something you're dealing with that we could help you with, we'd love to know.